Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. family and uh hey uh can you guys just one more time at, at all of our campuses can we just tell like our high schoolers how proud of them we are for like leading our services today and yeah man dude it was awesome it was it, it pulled worship out of my heart seeing that well hey um if you guys got your bibles head over to uh hebrews chapter 12 and then put your finger in genesis 25 we're gonna take a wild ride today um we are here's what we're talking this is the last week of our can't stop won't stop series And here's where we're going today, man. What we're doing today is this is why we can't stop and we won't stop giving everything we got to the next generation that's coming after us. Giving everything we got, okay? Um, To lead into this, so I uh, I, I came across this story this week about a, a husband and a wife that were celebrating their 60th birthday together. And, you know, it just so happens that, you know, an angel of the Lord appears and tells them, that uh, he's going to grant them each a special request on their birthday, 60th birthday. And so uh, the wife just immediately gets these big doughy eyes and, you know, she says, you know, my, my request is that my husband and I will be able to travel the world together in our old age. And poof, you know, as soon as the smoke cleared, she had tickets in her hand. And the husband, you know, just sort of hung his head in shame and looked at his wife and then hung his head in shame and looked up the angel, looked back at his wife. And finally, he just said, my special request is that I'd be married to somebody 30 years younger than me. And poof, as soon as the smoke cleared, he was 90 years old. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Now, listen, (laughs) here's why I say that. Hard gear shift. Someday, someday, poof, the smoke is going to clear. And you're going to be 90 years old or you're going to be up there. And in that moment, if you have a heart for the things of God at all, something in that moment will be crystal clear to you that might not be crystal clear right now. And I want to make it crystal clear. So if you got your Bibles, head over with me to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. That's what I'm going to read, Hebrews. I am a coffee drinker. And so Hebrews is my favorite book of the Bible. Come on, somebody. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's my bad. (laughs) Hebrews 12, this is verse 1. It says, therefore, everybody say, therefore. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, let us also, everybody say, me too. Me too. Lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Side note, do you know what the joy that was set before him was? You. You. The Bible says that you, that the saints are the, quote, 
glorious riches of the inheritance of Jesus Christ. And so when he was like standing in front of Golgotha and looking at a bloody, horrible death on a cross, and he was like, what would make it worth it to endure that pain? Part of the answer was you, the possibility of redeeming you from the curse of your sin, paying the atoning death that would free you from the penalty of sin so that he could get eternity with you. You, you were the joy that was set before him. Despising the shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, let me just riff on this for a second. Um, the verse starts, Hebrews 12, 1, it starts with the word therefore. And if you've been around Bible teaching at all for a little bit, you know anytime in the Bible that you see the word therefore, what you gotta do is you gotta go backwards to see what the therefore was. Therefore, <laughs> therefore, and I know this is, I wanna get really deep. This is a really deep Bible teaching, really deep uh, little Bible fact here. Hebrews 11 comes before Hebrews 12. And Hebrews 11, if you've been around the Bible like, you know, for any time at all, you know, Hebrews 11 is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible because Hebrews 11 is, is what we call the hall of faith. It is 16 successive stories about men and women going all the way back to, genera- to, uh, to Genesis and stretching all the way forward to the book of Hebrews, to the church to whom the book of Hebrews was written, and 16 stories telling the stories of faith of men and women of the faith who had come before the Christians to whom the book of Hebrews was written. Now, here's why this is really important. It's important for us to know and to remember that there were people of the faith that came before us in the Christian faith. Because when we forget that there were Christians who came before us in the faith, sometimes we stop remembering that there will be people who come after us. And actually we have a responsibility. It is incumbent upon us in this generation, in our moment with our resources to pass a baton of faith from one generation to the next. And Hebrews points this out. Now, I, I love this so much because Hebrews, it actually uses the word race. Race is the word, the analogy it uses for the Christian life. Now, um, when you became a Christian, you may not have maybe thought of it like this, but what we tend to think is like, okay, man, this thing's a race. And we think of it like a sprint, that it's like, okay, it's all about energy. It's like, I gotta run my race in this moment, at this time. It's, we live in such an individualistic, self-obsessed culture that everything for us, it's all about I, 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 me, me, me. We take selfies, not Yui's. And so it's like, what we think about is like, okay, it's all about me and running this race. But then when you became a Christian, you know, you may have been like, okay, it's all about, a sprint's all about energy. Well, the thing about energy is that energy evaporates and that eventually something is more important than energy. So somebody may have said this to you, hey, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And where a sprint is about energy, a marathon is about rhythms. Can you put one foot in front of the other, mile after mile? Let me say it like this. Can you be in the word day after day, week after week? Can you gather with the people of God uh, on a Sabbath? Uh, decade after decade. So a sprint is about energy. A marathon is is about uh, rhythm. But what Hebrews is telling us is that actually the Christian faith, it's not primarily a sprint or a marathon. It's primarily a relay race. That we have been handed something, according to the book of Jude, that the faith was, quote, once for all delivered to the saints, and that there is an unbreaking succession from the apostles to whom the faith was entrusted all the way 2,000 years ago to you. 
and that now we have been given this baton of the faith and it is our responsibility to pass it down. Here's the thing about, so I said a sprint's about energy, a marathon's about rhythm. Here's the thing about a relay race. A relay race is all about the baton pass. Like it's all about the baton pass. Um, here's my analogy here. So like uh, I'm, a, I'm an Olympics guy. Like I've, I've learned that, that some sports dudes are Olympics dudes and some sports dudes are not Olympics dudes. I'm an Olympics guy. So like when the Olympics going on, man, like I'm all like Team USA. I'm waking up every morning Googling. I want to see the American flag at the top of the round. I'm, I'm all about it. I'm all about it, man. And my favorite track event to watch is the men's four by, four by 100 relay. There's all these mechanics to it. There's always drama. And people are always getting disqualified. Like it's really interesting. If you watched the 2021, it was the last one, the, the last Summer Olympics. If you watched the 2021 Tokyo Olympics, you know this. The men's four by 100 relay team coming into the 2021 Tokyo Olympics, it was, it was like the dream team. Uh, heavy favorite to win. Three of the top 10 fastest people in the world were on one team. And everybody just thought, these dudes are just gonna like hop, skip, and jump to a gold. Not only did they not get the gold, that year in Tokyo, they failed to even qualify. Now here's why. Because a relay race, it really, it's not about how fast the runners are. A relay race all comes down to what's called the exchange zone. The exchange zone is, it's 1.9 seconds, it's 20 meters. That is the only place where one runner is allowed to pass the baton to the next runner. And the success or failure of the race, it all comes down to what happens in the exchange zone. In 2021 in the uh, Olympics in Tokyo, this is what happened. So in the second turn, the second leg of the event, this is what happened in the exchange zone. Brother reached back and like accidentally choke slammed his partner. The baton failed to get past. And even though three of the 10 fastest dudes in the world were on the same team, they lost the race. Didn't even qualify. Take that down. Now here's my point. In a relay, it doesn't matter if you have the fastest runners. What matters is did you pass the baton? Hey, Lake Point Church, what the book of Hebrews is telling us is that their responsibility, their responsibility in that race is our responsibility in this race. Our job is to pass the baton of faith from this generation to the one that comes after, after us. You, you need to know, this is true for you. Think about this. God looked at everyone who would ever exist everywhere and he plucked you out of eternity and then he positioned you in time. And then he proportioned your gifts, your talents, your resources. And then he planted you in this house. And now we've been given a baton of faith. God has given us a responsibility in our generation uh, to pass the baton of faith to our generation. This is bigger than us. And now, hey, Lake Point Church, tag, you're it. For your days, you are holding the baton. And the success or the failure of the race depends on what we do in our generation and then we're done. Now, have you ever thought about this? Like, why, why is this so urgent? <laughs> well, here's why. Think about what happens if we don't. Let, let me read you one of the saddest. I think it's like the saddest verse in the Bible. This is in the book of Judges. I know everybody woke up this morning just going, I hope he's in Judges today. <laughs> Give me some Judges, you know. Now, here it is. <laughs> this is Judges 2, 7 through 10. I want to focus on verse 10. 
And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, great name, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had, you say it, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaosh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Now watch this last sentence. And there arose a generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now think about this. Why is it important, church, that we can't, we can't get complacent? We can't just settle in and be like, oh man, I came here today and we have the seven campuses and the buildings are nice and the air conditioning or actually heat now is on and I can get my coffee and you know, the, the worship's good and I got my seat and all that. Like, this is good. Why can't we get complacent? Because think about what happens if we fail to pass the baton in our generation. Think about what, think about what did Joshua see with his own eyes? Joshua had personally been redeemed from slavery in Egypt. He starts the biblical narrative as a slave in Egypt. Joshua, with his own two eyes, he had watched Moses walk up to the Red Sea, hold a stick in the air, and the mighty power of God divided an ocean. And it was his feet, personally, that sunk into that dry ground and walked through that sea. Joshua had walked up and beheld Mount Sinai and he saw Moses ascend the mountain. He saw the fire of God descend on the mountain. He saw the stone tablets on which the finger of God etched the perfect and loving law of God and he watched Moses break them. Every morning for 40 years, Joshua woke up, came out of his tent in the wilderness, knelt down and picked up manna from heaven that God himself had miraculously provided and it sustained him for 40 years. When the children of Israel got to the time where they came into the promised land, do you remember this? It was Joshua. He was one of the leaders of the people. It was Joshua's feet that when his foot touched the edge of the Jordan River at its flood stage, God in that moment split the Jordan River and again Joshua walked forward on dry ground and he led the people to do it. Joshua, with his own two eyes, he had lifted his voice and shouted, and he watched the walls of Jericho fall by the mighty outstretched hand of his God. In one, think about it, in one generation, Joshua went from slavery in the land to possession of the land in one generation. He had seen it all, but, but, it's not worth applauding because he dropped the baton. And a generation after him arose that knew not the Lord nor his mighty works. And the book of Judges records the story of the children of Israel sliding into godlessness and eventually judgment. The gospel, listen, the gospel is always one generation away from extinction. And you, me, we have been entrusted with these days we have on this earth to pass the baton of faith to the next generation. Now here's the question, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you do that? Well, I pointed this out, the Hebrews 12, one, it, it, it begins with a therefore, and Hebrews 11, it tells the story of these, these 16 baton passes. What's interesting in Hebrews 12 is that half the chapter is devoted to only three men. Abra this is, listen, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. A grandfather 
a father and a son. Three successive generations. And it tells the story of how this baton gets passed. Now, what it's doing is it's pointing back to Genesis 25. Now, here's your homework, and I'm especially talking to my fellow dads. Dads, your homework this week is to go home, pray and ask God to speak to you, read Genesis 25, and look for how God uses fathers to pass generations of faith in the scriptures. Genesis 25. I'm going to give you a brief overview. So Genesis 25, what's interesting about it is Genesis 25 is the baton pass chapter because it records two baton passes uh, between three generations. It records the baton pass from Abraham to Isaac, and then it also in the same chapter records the baton pass from Isaac to his son Jacob. Three baton passes. Now, we're, we're going to do a little, 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 little theology really quick here. What a lot of people miss about the book of Genesis is there's like a spine to the book of Genesis. There's one phrase repeated over and over and over. It's repeated 10 times that forms the spine of Genesis. And it's the phrase, these are the generations of. So Genesis 2 begins with the phrase, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And then 10 times that phrase, these are the generations of, these are the generations of, these are the generations of. And in Genesis 37, it ends with, these are the generations of Jacob. What the Bible is showing us is, is watch this. The book of Genesis is a book of generations. And when God wants to generate something great, his plan is to do it through generations. That's his plan. Now, what I'm getting ready to say in the next four or five minutes is both a little heady, and, and it's more, like we say this a lot at Lake Point, it's more BC than PC, more biblically correct than politically correct, but we're, we're going to go all in. So this is God's plan. God's plan, listen, is for the fathers to pass wisdom and righteousness to the sons. Now, fathers and mothers, but I'm using the language of the Bible, for the fathers to pass wisdom and righteousness to the sons. Now, here's what's, just think with me for a second. God is a Holy Spirit whose plan is to pass wisdom and righteousness from the fathers to the sons. God is a Holy Spirit, but Satan is an unholy spirit. And whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Whatever God creates, Satan corrupts. Whatever God builds, Satan breaks. Whatever God inaugurates, Satan comes to oppose. So where God is a Holy Spirit that turns the hearts of the children to the fathers, according to the book of Malachi, Satan is an unholy spirit, and his whole goal is to turn the hearts of the children against the fathers. That's his whole goal. Now, track with me. Let's go a layer deeper. The Bible says that Satan is, quote, the father of lies. So his primary weapon is not artillery. The Bible says his primary weapon is ideology. And that the goal of the church is to be, quote, a pillar and buttress of the truth, that we, that we tear down, that we destroy arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So because Satan is, just track with me, we're going a layer deeper. Because Satan is a father of lies, his primary weapon is not artillery, it's ideology. In our generation, there are two things that Satan is using to turn the hearts of the children against the fathers and to cut up off the baton pass from one generation to the next in the faith. Here are the two things he's using in our generation. Technology and ideology. Now, if you don't, let, me, let me just click on this. Let's go another layer deeper. Okay, technology, there has been more technological advance in the world in the last 120 years than in all of human history before that combined. What that's doing in our generation right now, so God has plans, Satan has schemes. My job right now is to expose one of the schemes of the devil so it doesn't happen to you and your family. So more technological advance in the last um, uh, 120 years than in all of human history previously combined. 
What that's doing is it's creating an illusion, I highlight the word illusion, that a younger generation is actually smarter and wiser than an older generation. And we are the first generation in human history to have the illusion that a younger generation is smarter, better, and wiser than a previous generation. Oh, by the way, that's not going well for us. And here's what that's doing for us. Check this out. What the, here's how this is happening. Because a younger generation, they like know how to take a .5 selfie and they know how to convert a file to a PDF. But how many of us, hey, Lake Point Church, how many of us, of us understand that what's more important than know how to take a .5 selfie are things like how to love a woman for an entire lifetime or how to build a family or how to build a business or how to walk through life and pain and suffering and become a person of maturity and joy. How about those things are a little more important than knowing how to convert a file to a PDF? And then that creates this illusion that the younger is smarter and wiser than the older and Satan starts flipping the flow of the baton pass. Now let's go another layer deeper. So it's not just technology, it's ideology. Ideology, Satan, the father of lies, he uses ideology, not artillery. So I'm gonna give you, now this is where we're gonna get a little unpeace, we're gonna get BC real quick here. There are three primary ideologies that in our culture right now are getting stacked on top of one another to turn the hearts of the children against the fathers. And listen, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm an old millennial. I'm like 40. I'm like right in the middle. Can I just say something to you right now, man? Like if you are like my generation and down, you will be so much smarter, wiser, and happier if you will go against the grain of our generation and have the humility and wisdom to look at godly people older than you and say, please teach me, can I inherit what you've earned? Like, you're, you're, listen, your life will be totally different. Your life will be totally different. Now let me explain the three ideologies Satan's using to turn the hearts of the children against the fathers. Number one, critical theory. Now let me give a quick caveat. I am not saying that all accusations of racism are wrong or silly. I have children of color myself, this stuff matters, but listen to me. Critical theory is an ideology, it's a theory that postulates that all institutions are inherently racist because racism is embedded in the institutions and that everyone who either built or participated in the institutions is by default guilty or complicit of that racism. And so what that inherently means is that, oh, by the way, all of your parents and all of your grandparents, they were all racist too. So what this does is when there's a generation that's steeped in that ideology, it starts to instill the belief, belief number one, my parents are racist and I have to oppose them for justice. That's number one. Now, let's go to ideology number two, queer theory. I know all of you, again, you just can't, you just were hoping to hear about queer theory today at church. <laughs> queer theory is the belief, I don't have time to go into this, but queer theory is it instill, it's, it, it's the belief that all of your parents and all your grandparents' ideas about gender, marriage, and sexuality, that actually they're all outdated, primitive, oppressive, and repressive. And that actually, so it instills this belief that in order for me to truly be myself, I have to, uh, I have to rebel against them. I have to, uh, it, so critical theory does, my parents are racist. I have, to, uh, I have to oppose them for justice. Queer theory instills this belief. My parents are bigots and I have to rebel against them to truly be myself. But watch this, there's a third ideology that's like really steeping my generation and down. I'm gonna call it like a humanistic therapeutic worldview. And I am not in any way saying that like all therapy is bad. Like actually it can be really helpful, I've done it. But when it becomes a totalizing worldview through which you view, the lens through which you view every problem in the world, what a therapeutic worldview can instill in you is this belief. That oh, 
my family of origin was the origin point of all the pain and trauma in my life. Uh, That means that actually my parents were the origin point of all the pain and trauma in my life. And I actually have to separate myself from them to be happy. So watch this. Are you seeing what Satan's doing in our generation? He's stacking these three ideologies on top of one another so that the children start to think about the fathers. My parents are racist and I have to oppose them for justice. My parents are bigots and I have to rebel against them to truly be myself. And my parents are the origin point of all the pain in my life and I have to separate myself from them to be happy. Do you see what Satan is doing? He's turning the hearts of the children against the fathers where God is a good father that loves his kids and he wants fathers to rise up who have a heart to love their children and pass wisdom and righteousness from one generation to the next and the gospel can get all up in there and the gospel can change all that. It can redeem, it can save, it can reconcile, it can bring all these things together. Jesus can do that. So so check this out. What we've got to understand, let me go one last layer deeper where God's design was for the fathers and mothers to pass wisdom and righteousness to the children. Here's what's happening in our generation. Parents out of a fear of being labeled toxic and cut off by their children, instead of passing wisdom and righteousness down to the children, out of a fear of being labeled toxic and cut off, the parents are agreeing with the children. So instead of wisdom and righteousness getting passed down, foolishness and wickedness is getting passed up. This is the scheme of Satan in our generation. But how many of us know Jesus can change all that? He can redeem that. He can reconcile people. He can heal. Like he can do all that. So you gotta understand this is what God's doing now. This is what Satan's doing now. I want you to see what God wants to do. So Genesis 25, you have these three. So that's the bad, that's the bad example, how Satan flips it. But watch what happens and can happen in your life, in your family's life, in our church's life when generations come and wisdom and righteousness get passed down. So Genesis 25, that's your homework. I'm not gonna read any of it. I'm gonna give you examples. It's the baton pass, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now think about this. Three generations, grandfather, father, son. Abraham was the first believer in his family. The book of Joshua tells us Abraham's father was a pagan dude that worshiped demonic false gods. So that was the negative baton that got passed from Abraham's father to himself. Now because of that, because his dad passed him a bad baton, Abraham like, he's kind of like a blessed mess. Dude's life was really blessed, but it was, it was a huge mess. Abraham had three wives. He was a total liar. He lied about his wife, Sarah. Lied about his wife, Sarah, being his sister because Sarah was like attractive and he was afraid dudes would kill him to try to sleep with his, so he could sleep with Sarah. So he was like, oh, she's my sister. And when, he was just a messed up guy. And then when Sarah, when Sarah couldn't get pregnant and God had promised Abraham a son, Abraham sleeps with somebody else to try to accomplish the promises of God. Just a blessed mess, but positive. Abraham was the first believer in his family tree and he changed his family tree. Can I say something to some of you? Some of you right now, you're the first believer in your family and you're like, my life's a mess. Yep, but it's gonna be a blessed mess and you're gonna change the family tree. Generation, your grandchildren are gonna be different because you bent your knee to the Lordship of Jesus. That's right, man. You're gonna clap, you gotta commit because you bent your knee to the Lordship of Jesus and generations are getting changed by what you're doing, okay? So Abraham handed, he at least handed faith to his son Isaac. Now, here's the pattern you're gonna see. When the baton gets passed, one generation's ceiling becomes the next generation's floor. 
And Isaac's a little better than Jacob. Isaac uh, had the exact same situation as Jacob, where he's like waiting on a son, a promised son, and it's not happening. But where Abraham slept with somebody else to try to accomplish the promise, watch what Isaac does. He, he takes a different path. Genesis 25, 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. So where Abraham failed because he passed a baton of faith to his son, Isaac succeeded. Isaac, his whole life, had one wife. He was faithful to his wife. Isaac was a believer and he was a man of prayer because he received a baton from his father. Now, then Isaac passes the baton to Jacob. Now, I'm gonna read you the description of Jacob's birth. This is Genesis 25, 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. God bless you women. I don't know how you, twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was what was red, and his whole body was like a hairy, she was like a, a furry ginger is what he was. That's what he was. I have a redheaded wife, I'm allowed to say that. It's a furry ginger. So they named him Isaac. Now, real quick pause here. I love showing you when archaeology and sociology uh, uh, affirm theology. And you see this all throughout Genesis where um, archaeology is constantly confirming what the Bible tells us. My favorite of this is the Encyclopedia of Biblical Archaeology. They're always digging up stuff. They go, oh, that did happen. Like we can confirm that in the archaeological record. They dug up something to confirm that the hairy ginger Esau like actually existed. This is what they dug up. They found this and it confirms, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> There's, there you go, that's Esau. Take that down, I gotta preach. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so verse 26, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Now check this out. Jacob is a little better than Isaac. Jacob wrestles with God. He experiences intimacy with God. Jacob is the one that births the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob is the one whose name God changes to Israel and he becomes the nation that's the fulfillment of the promise. Now, did you see this? When the baton gets passed, the father's ceiling become the, becomes the son's floor. And he gets to run exactly from the spot where his father Stopped. Here's my point. Because the baton was passed and not dropped, each generation's ceiling became the next generation's floor. That's what happens when the fathers pass it to the sons. Now, can I just say this? I will not stop beating this drum. In our culture, we are doing the opposite. In our culture, what we're doing is we are breaking down men and then trying to get the government to do what the dads are supposed to do. So like we're looking, we're breaking down men and then we're looking at the government, we're going, oh, they'll provide for you, they'll protect you, they'll educate you, they'll indoctrinate you. And people are like, oh, more government. Listen, we don't need more government. We need less government and more fathers. That's what we need. How about less government and more fathers? That's what we need. God's design is for the fathers to pass it to the sons. Now, this message is like a very, it's a little more emotional for me than usual because that, that's the story of my life. Um, every time I'm standing up here, I'm a, I'm a little surprised this, this stage doesn't cave in because every time I'm up here, there's three men up here preaching to you, three men. Jerry Howerton, Rick Howerton, and Josh Howerton. Three men are preaching to you every week. 
So let me, let me show you this. Um, this is my papa, Jerry Howerton. He's given like Vince Gill vibes. And, uh, and I look like a squishmallow. That's what. <laughs> uh, this is a good man. Jerry, he's going to be with the Lord. Jerry Howerton was a good man. Um, grew up in abject poverty. Family was born in the Ozark Mountains. He grew up abject poverty. Grew up living in a garage. Um, was the son of an egg farmer. Came from absolutely nothing. But Jerry Howerton, somewhere along the way, man, he had, he was born, Jerry Howerton he was born with this, uh, my papa was born with this birth defect where his right leg was three inches shorter than his left leg, so his whole life he kind of walked like this and uh, came from nothing, man. But somewhere along the way, Jerry Howerton bent his knee to the lordship of Jesus. And man, he, he was faithful to one woman for his entire life. Man, he loved his kids. Man, he, he, he worked 50, 60, 70 hours a week. Like he, that man worked himself to three heart attacks and spinal stenosis because he poured himself out to provide for his children, to love his wife, and to pass a baton of faith to the next generation. Eventually, um, I'm, I'm so proud of this man. He, he was so proud of this. Jerry Howerton was the first man in our entire family to graduate from college. Show, show this. That's my papa. He graduated his undergraduate degree when he was 50 years old. He was so proud. First, first generation in our family to graduate from college. And uh, papa, eventually, he became a, a preacher. He got a Bible degree, became a preacher, never pastored a church more than 150 people, just traveled around preaching in these old country churches his whole life. But watch this. Because he faithfully passed a baton from one generation to the next, Jerry Howerton's ceiling became my dad Rick Howerton's floor. So this is my dad Rick Howerton. So this is dad Rick, that's my mom Julie, that, and that, that's me, I'm doing my thing. And So this is Rick Howerton. My dad is probably the best man I've ever met. Best man I've ever met. And because Jerry Howerton passed the legacy of faith, my dad got to grow up my dad got to grow up around the things of God and in the church of God, and he married a good, godly Christian woman, my mom. And listen, y'all, like, my mom, <laughs> my mom, like, she, she got Jesus into me. <laughs> I mean, like, from the time I was born, it was, she was reading a children's Bible to us every night, man. We were in church every time the doors were open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I got, you know, I'm in elementary school. I'm doing teen Bible quiz, like these little nerdy Bible competitions. I get into middle school. I'm doing teen Bible quiz now instead of junior Bible quiz. All the things, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all the things. She wanted me so full of the scripture. If a mosquito bit me, a fly away singing, there's power in the blood. That's what she wanted, man. And so, and so my dad, he married a good and godly woman. And my dad, inherited my grandfather's hard work ethic. Y'all, my dad works hard. And his whole life, he taught me to work hard. And my dad married a godly woman, has stayed faithful to that woman his entire life. He loved his kids, and my dad became a pastor too. In fact, this picture is a picture of me and my dad standing outside the church my dad started in Nashville. And my dad literally passed the baton where the church my dad started, he eventually passed to me and I pastored that church for 10 years. And watch this, Jerry Howerton's ceiling became Rick Howerton's floor. Rick Howerton's ceiling became Josh Howerton's floor. And let me show you this picture, last one. This is a picture, some of y'all were here. This is a picture of Pastor Steve Stroop and me on this stage in December of 2018. This is the moment that Steve passed the baton of Lake Point Church to me. And when that happened, here's what a lot of people said. They were like, Josh? Like, why'd you, why'd you pick Josh? 
Josh Howerton, man, he's only 35 years old. How's a 35-year-old with only 10 years of experience gonna pastor a church like Lake Point? Here's my response to that. Because when I got to Lake Point, I was 35 years old, but I had 80 years of ministry experience. I had 80 years. Because my father and my father's father passed a baton to me so that their ceiling could be my floor. Man, can, can I just say something to you, fathers and mothers, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers? Our job is to invest everything that we've been given into the next generation of faith so that our ceiling becomes their floor and they inherit something better than we've been given and they go farther than we went. That's our job. Like, that's literally why God put us on this planet. So, man, Lake Point Church, let me just land it right here. Here's my big point success for this church, success for Lake Point Church, success is succession. Success is succession. Success is succession. So, so listen, man, check this out. The win for us as a church is not, ooh, we got seven campuses. The win for us is, ooh, the rooms are full. The win is not, ooh, the worship was really good. That stuff matters right now. But what really matters is when every person within the hearing of my voice goes the way of all the earth and we're in our graves. Did we pass a baton of living faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that our children and our children's children know him, love him, and will be with him in eternity, having advanced his cause in their time on earth, and then they go to be with us? Will we have done that? That's the only thing that matters because the gospel is only one generation away from extinction. And Lake Point Church, that's why we are all in on our next generation ministries and reaching the next, next generation for Christ. 94% of people who become a Christian become a Christian before the age of 18. Our highest energy, our highest resources, our highest focus, it needs, that's our highest ROI mission field. So listen, we are all in. And I need you to understand how small things that you do now pass a baton of faith that changes generation after generation. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.